G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast. <clears throat> we don't ask for much in turn, but we're incredibly grateful if you popped out a podcast or Acast and leave us a review. Obviously, a five-star review would be great, um, and we'd really appreciate if you could spend a couple of minutes of your day, maybe over this uh, festive period, to leave us a, a review. So uh, joining um, myself and uh, Brian in the studio today, we have the fabulous uh, Dr. Simon Cook, um, thank you, Simon, for uh, for giving up your valuable free time in this uh, close to close to the festive festive period. Free what, time, yeah. <laughs> free time, yeah, absolutely. What, what are you What are you doing over Christmas? Oh, we'll be uh, London based and well, London and Edinburgh between the two. That's what we'll be. Very, very good. Quite quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of different <laughs> different space. Anyway, so we thought we'd, we'd talk about uh, a, a fluid therapy, as in in the uh, um, I suppose the, the basics to to some of the concepts and. <clears throat> and also maybe considerations for the for the for the future. So um, uh, so maybe maybe I'll see you in your in your recent uh, investigation. Sort of what what uh, how, how do we look at fluid therapy? Um, well, I suppose in, in, when we're trying to sort of teach it to the students, we are always trying to think about well, seeing that they understand the type of fluid that they are giving and the compositions of all the different options that we have available. Um, recognizing why you might choose one over the other um, yeah I'd like to do some more research into this and what's kind of used in practice and available still etc cetera, etc cetera. but um, what we're really trying to get across is the compositions of your most commonly used fluids for example your sodium chloride and your compound sodium lactate Hartman solutions um, so I guess they're the main stays of what we are trying to teach on on a clinics level um, yeah, I don't really know where we, what where, what was the expected answer. No, no, no. So, so it's be the 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 way that um, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. When when definitely when we graduated, I think there was only like one type of fluid, and didn't think about those other potential types of fluids. But the 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 ones that we use are sometimes called uh, replacement fluids. So the the 0.9% sodium chloride, the Hartmann's, the compound sodium lactate, lactated ringers, and so there's 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 different components to those, aren't, aren't there? And and yet they're they're all interchangeable in that replacement isotonic crystalloid fluid. Mm. So, so I suppose the main thing is sodium chloride, as what it says on the on the tin. I was I was, I was interested. This is a complete sideline, but I was, I was very interested <laughs> on the way into work. They say that you know we're having too much salt in our diet, mm. and uh, too much salt is over. I think it's like seven grams um, a day, and there's there's you know, nine grams in a mm. in a bag of point uh, nine percent sodium chloride. So yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know, it's an interesting way to think about it. People don't often sort of consider that fine you're gonna let's say you have a, a patient a bit a human or an animal and you have them on a um you know a, a 10 kilogram dog on four mils per kilo per hour and you're using sodium chloride you might end up what's that 24 times 42 that's a liter exactly that's nine grams and that's probably far in excess let alone the actual fluid that it might near the water that actually it may or may or may not have even required the salt load and particularly the chloride load is uh, is very likely massively in excess of that of that patient's requirements um and that has been sort of a a, a realization over the last uh, decade or so probably longer in in certainly in the human world and we're starting to 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 consider i mean it seems as though we've weirdly had it right for the last few decades in veterinary in terms of preferring to use more uh, balanced crystal uh, crystalloid solutions like gomasodium lactate and Hartmann's solutions, um, as opposed to using your sodium chlorides. Um, 
so it's quite it's, it's not it's not often that we'll be ahead of the human <laughs> field in that respect but it does seem to have, to be the case um they are starting to uh, with you know s- small amounts but 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 increasing amounts um of, of evidence uh, leaning towards using more balanced crystalloids in the human literature versus uh, sodium chloride and there's these huge studies, aren't there, that look into... It's more into crystalloids and colloids rather than the different type of crystalloids themselves. But I suppose the problem with sodium chloride is that is there's far much much more chloride than, mm. than is than is in um, our patient's plasma. Yeah, general. yeah, so yeah, exactly, yeah. So you're probably looking at, depending on your reference range, like 106, 110-ish ballparks for your plasma chlorides. And, and in your sodium chloride, you've literally got 154 millimoles per litre of chloride um, so it's not you can't really call that physiological um, it's much easier to call the chloride content of CSL or Hartman's phys- more physiological than 154 um, and yeah it's exactly it's that chloride that has been um, implicated in for example in, in, in humans as, as being linked to uh, increasing amounts of acute kidney injury or requirement for dialysis based on um, well ultimately decreasing uh, renal perfusion based on the chloride load, and and also I suppose compared to the other solutions, it's got the chloride in it, which makes it a, an acidic solution, so far more acidic than you think. So a pH, I believe, of about five point five, which is which is pretty acidic in 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 general when you think about the the plasma. Yeah, it's nice to be able to have that sort of um, yeah the alkalinizing effect of your more balanced crystalloids um, is is likely to be more useful in the vast majority of the patients that we are dealing dealing with, particularly in. in emergency critical care environment and uh, they're much more likely to benefit from an alkalinizing solution rather than an acidifying solution and so the the other constituents for the Hartman's lactate bringers as you were saying it's a different combination obviously a lower chloride but then going to have some potassium in there maybe depending on what you have calcium maybe magnesium yeah exactly yeah so uh, ultimately in in in, in the maintenance in, in trying to um still deliver an isotonic solution working back from sodium chloride they basically had to take out a little bit of um, sodium, uh, take out a little bit of chloride, uh, so your sodium is about 130-ish, um, uh, and then they've added in some potassium, a little bit of calcium, um, and, and some lactate as a, as a bicarbonate precursor. Um, uh, very, yeah, some, some other more balanced crystalloids will contain uh, magnesium um, or acetate, for example, as additional um, ingredients. Uh, less commonly used, it seems, in in the UK, other other um, normal soles and, and plasma lights. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd be interested to know who does actually use them around in the UK. Yeah, and uh, and so classically, these have always been called like replacement fluids. So those isotonic crystalloids, that's what they've been called. It doesn't really matter what what they are in that in that spectrum. Um, and uh, and then interestingly, although we use the term maintenance fluids differently as, as more of a rate don't we that actually <clears throat> maintenance fluids themselves are those with, with like less sodium mm-hmm. um and less chloride so like 0.45 percent sodium chloride and and equivalents there mm. thereof that have a bit more water a bit less salt yeah and i suppose that that we you know we, we do have <clears throat> do you have those available i suppose that the main concern that i think with uh um if people just use their replacement fluids so that say the normal hartmans is that maybe absolutely right with more sodium potentially more chloride depending on what solution you give but hopefully the kidneys will be able to sort that out <clears throat> the problem is if you use a a hypotonic fluid so less sodium less chloride then has a lot more water and if you if you give that at a 
a maintenance rate, so just a, a background rate of fluids or whatever maintenance is. Maybe we'll come to mm. that interesting point afterwards. Then the, the then things are fine or should be. But then if you use that to try and uh, give more fluid than is required, that's when everything can go a bit helter-skelter with electrolytes. Yeah, I expect so. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure it's... Um it's something that is particularly frequently practiced, to be honest, is, is the use of genuine um, maintenance fluid therapy. It's not something that I see used a huge amount in the in the UK at all. And again, I, that's one of the things that I want to know a little bit more about is the frequency of those solutions being uh, stocked, for example, and, and, and used. I, 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 by the sounds of it, they're used much more often on the continent, for example, I'm assured. Uh, but... Um, we certainly very f- infrequently do, and there's a really, there's a probably quite a good argument to say that we should be using them more often, you know, to deliver uh, the minimum fluid uh, possible, um, uh, and the, the the least additional electrolyte burden in terms of sodium chloride in particular. And so, when you talked about giving a, an amount of fluid, like four mils per kilo per hour, I suppose that's the, the terminology that, that that we definitely use in the in the in the, mm. in the chef. And so, we we definitely say that we don't really use the term maintenance, and probably because it gets a bit confused with mm. maintenance fluid or anything else. But yeah. but um, but your understanding of a, a maintenance fluid requirement is mm. is uh, it's, I, I, it's it, very it, likely it's, dramatically less than we or is delivered i suppose is the way, way to phrase it uh, i think it's um it's uh, very easy to give patients too many fluids okay i think i think that's, i suppose i hope that it's something that is coming to the attention of 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 more people that you there are some deleterious consequences of overzealous fluid therapy that is very very well uh, very 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 um, well demonstrated in human literature and increasingly demonstrated in the veterinary literature that you can use for, uh, having a positive fluid balance um, carries some quite deleterious consequences. Do you think that's more in, um, I suppose, in our sort of realm, like more in the emergency sense or more the, the, the sick patients rather than in... in yeah, I don't, I, I, uh, don't doubt that it still causes a, a, a problem, but it's a, problem, it's a much smaller problem in you know a very healthy... Uh, dog that, that 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 can tolerate well the volume and doesn't have any long-lasting effects of the uh, overzealous administration. Yes, it's much more a problem in your critically ill patients whose urine output is poorly quantified, whose cardiovascular systems are poorly prepared to cater with the volumes that you're using, um, and have other organ uh, systems that are not working perfectly. It's 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 those organs that start to suffer when you give too many fluids and they they have a pos- what's called a positive fluid balance. And so in general, so if we go with a with a normal uh, amount so an amount of fluid requirement that a patient would need to say if a vomiting and diarrhea patient, I mean it is <clears throat> I mean it's I suppose we're ironic in some way we're talking about fluids I'm sure a lot of people are going to be in, you know using a lot of fluids over the, over this festive period mm-hmm. um, but it, but in general for our uh, for our you know our dogs and cats when we talk about fluid administration um, as far as the amount that they're required for a day you know for that vomiting di- diarrhea. So what we tend to work out is their what they require for their normal physiological balance, and we term that the maintenance, don't yeah. we? And then we add on whatever the the dehydration is and whatever the ongoing losses are. So like three different arms, mm. but I know colloquially most people just talk in multiples of, of maintenance. Yeah, no, it's and nice to steer away from that, isn't it? it, it yeah, it, I suppose that when I've 
calculated things out so if you think a patient is like 10 percent dehydrated and uh, and you're and you you just multiply the the normal fluid rate that you would give by twice or three times like often you're undercooking them you're not giving them the amount of, of fluid that they that they would actually sort of require so i think for the most part if you if you have dehydrated patients probably you're not we're not giving them enough fluids if that if we're only using that terminology if we haven't sort of calculated it out and probably not with ongoing losses and i know it's hard to sort of quantify but i think that sort of rule of thumb thing sometimes misguides people to give less than they should mm-hmm. yeah i don't i mean i i uh i don't know i uh, i think it's uh, yeah i can imagine it, absolutely if you if you uh do the maths it might be might be that you deliver exactly what you intend to uh by just choosing a, a rate and going for it for sure so i suppose what we ultimately should be doing is tailoring and reassessing much more frequently than we currently do um uh, and so things like you know it's, it's not the the things that we do um on a daily basis with regards to monitoring any inpatient but i'm not sure that we always necessarily think about what it equates to so weighing your patient interpreting that weight every single day twice a daily day ideally um and deciding whether that is that weight is expectedly increasing unexpectedly increasing or or, or you know or, or, or the opposite um and whether your fluid uh, fluid therapy protocol has contributed to that either way and the same thing so we're you know we're ticking on our handle sheets every day whether they've urinated and when they urinate but it's really easy to actually quantify that volume and then decide based on their urine output for example what fluid requirements they require uh, you know ongoing um so there are quite a few ways in which we can tailor our fluid therapy plans to our patients better than i think we currently do yeah. yeah, so I suppose we go on from from I suppose the the the, the general so the the patient that you do put on on fluids and I suppose even that even that terminology we we, we appropriate a not not the same amount of um, of focus you know if we said put that animal on antibiotics like we'd probably think about that a bit a bit more in some ways about what and how long for and why we're we giving that but but we very rarely ask those questions in general when we patient on on fluids yeah it, but i think we should shouldn't we hey? yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, the, yeah. you know there's the uh, the dbar taylor sort of uh, a, a list of, of you know what fluid for how long for what route you know what rate you know and and re- reassessment sort of parts of it but yes yeah, so it but it's just such a common thing that happens we don't necessarily think too, too much about. no yeah they're considered very benign mm-hmm. aren't necessarily yeah absolutely and so um so it's been some of the, the some, I'm sure uh, a bit of the, the struggle with that so assessing like dehydration I think in patients is uh, um, it's hard to find an objective measure apart from like body weight as you as you said but then that again is knowing the patient's body weight when they're when they're normal mm-hmm. uh, if you like whatever 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 normal is so um, uh, so I suppose we've do, do, do you do you think when calculating maintenance fluid rate or that mils per kilo per hour so what what do you yeah i mean what's I, your approach then? yeah I, I guess i would find I, I i would think of as as two mils two mils per kilo per hour has historically been what we consider maintenance but ultimately um you're very likely to be able to manage that patient's um ongoing fluid requirements with less yeah i suppose that's the that's as specific as we can really be there are some you know there's some nice old data to suggest that you know you might even be fine with literally five six seven mils per kilo per day yeah so there's a huge spectrum but i suspect ultimately it's it's in uh 
especially if, if there are patients that are struggling to cope with fluids, okay, they've got an acute kidney injury, they've got their, you know, their bordering congestive heart failure, et cetera, et cetera, or actually you've got your critically ill patient which you don't realise is at risk of developing congestive heart failure or, 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 or retaining too much volume, then we should be a lot more cautious. Yeah. And then, so, you, so you separately to, to that, to how we give fluids in particular, say in an emergency sense, so if we have patients that we think are hypovolemic so mm. their intravascular volume is is decreased so so you, th- this is where I, I know that there's been you know more work in in people and probably more from the military about uh, um giving a lot of fluids to resuscitate people and the complications sort of with mm. with that but they're kind of that's associated with trauma in it in itself and other comorbidities associated with that so it's again it's not necessarily a uh, um um clear cuts like the the in in military because a lot of the hypervolemia is associated with with blood loss and mm-hmm. and they you know people now know that uh you know if you have lost blood in a traumatic event you need blood like there's mm-hmm. no no clear fluids is sort of what the uh slogan i suppose for a lot of of, of trauma um practices and be nice wouldn't it and then you go and obviously we're we can't do that so so suppose what what is your impression of of how to volume resuscitate mm. and where do you think we're going with that mm. i suppose i think the the thing that we try increasingly to get across to our students at the moment is that i think we we shouldn't really be thinking in terms of of, of shock rates i think that is a, a dangerous um approach to fluid resuscitation i think it's much safer to uh, consider and deliver a fluid bolus and reassess. It's, uh, it, it's, um, yeah. I think I would wholly avoid using those sixty to ninety mils per kilo per hour um, rates for risk of giving too much or too little, even too little. It might be the case that your that rate for x amount of time is actually too little. But I think the bigger risk is that you give too much um, without having interpreted your patient's response to the fluid that you give. So um, take a unit of that of that shock rate um and give a bolus and reassess so you know so f- so 50 a 15 mil per kilo bolus delivered over 15 minutes is exactly the same as a 60 mil per kilo per hour rate over 15 minutes right it's exactly the same thing but if you deliver a bolus you're much more likely to reassess that patient decide whether it was a success uh, and then you know as we alluded to earlier they should literally be considered drugs if the patient doesn't need more fluids it doesn't get more fluids yeah if you've resuscitated it appropriately and you, you're happy with the, uh, the your readouts be they be they perfusion parameters on a clinical assessment be they heart rate be they blood pressure um or, or lactate for for example um and and then you don't need to continue volume resuscitating that patient um and it's the same the other end of the spectrum once these patients are clinically well and and hopefully you know, you're starting to de-escalate the level of care they require if they are ca- able to eat and drink and they haven't got any dyselectrotemias or requirements for any specific fluid components they don't need to be on fluids full stop yeah. And and so apart from so giving a giving a a bolus as in a, a certain period of time, mm. has has that has that changed? I suppose from from when you um, started working at Mosley to where you are now, or do you think about it the, the the same way? Or I suppose I suppose what I'm leading to is are you giving less? Do you think? Yeah, I think I definitely am uh, giving. Uh, or, or at least in smaller aliquots. So as I, I pick the point at which I have delivered adequate volume, um, and then I'm backing off as soon as that has been reached. 
um, and or although it's it's not evidence based yet in in veterinary, but in 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 human patients, for example, in patients that have uh, you know that are, are septic or have a form of vasodilatory shock, then using things like vasopressors earlier than we would usually have done. Uh, so that's been uh, that is a sort of a recommended approach in in human medicine and we uh, many of us are employing it r rightly or wrongly to be honest we haven't got the evidence although hopefully it's going to be pending soon um uh, to be considering using early uh, vasopressors than we would usually so let's say you give your 20 or 30 mils per kilo of crystalloids in a in a patient that you suspect to have a septic abdomen just for argument's sake um uh, and you had a uh, a response but not a perfect response and it's probably at that stage that we would consider starting a, a vasopressor before we continue further volume resuscitation. I suppose we, we probably should um, uh, comment on colloids even though they kind mm. of have, have uh, disappeared really mm. in, 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 I suppose yeah. in our careers in, in what we what mm. we do. Particularly, so I suppose it should specify the artificial um, or synthetic colloids rather mm. than rather natural colloids. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you, do you do you see that as a just because they've been difficult to get? Yeah, it's funny though because we, we, I guess in many ways we are just. Um, we're just following suit and following supply difficulties that have come about due to the documented adverse effects of, of colloid, artificial colloid use, um, hydroxyethyl starch use in human literature. So, but then it, I suppose it's interesting that subjectively we don't really have the impression that we missed them. You know, not having had them hasn't really, I don't feel, made a, a difference. We're basically making do with um, judicious crystalloid therapy, vasopressor use and natural colloids when we consider them necessary. Um, I think they will be, it's, I, I forget what the status was when I last looked this up, but I think they are to be become to become available again um, this year, but just under stricter licensing and, and, and availabilities. Um, so maybe they will be theoretically available again, but I'm not sure that many of us will be inclined to go back to using them because we haven't missed them. Uh, and uh, there is some, you know, s a small amount of evidence to say that they may actually do the same as they're doing humans. So, yeah. So I suppose it's good to to say we, you know, I think you're quite right. That there's very few cases where where we would have thought that uh, um, colloids were been useful, but I suppose and we're quite fortunate enough to potentially have have plasma if we're worried about mm. things like blood pressure and and uh, low and and wanting at colloid or even albumin solutions as 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 well potentially but they have their own <laughs> issues associated with with all of that but but i think it is interesting how that as a as a, a profession we kind of got on with it and and not yeah. really miss colloids as much as i thought people would have done yeah um so <clears throat> so that's good and i suppose the the maybe to to wrap up about this and i'm sure we could revisit it i know that um certain people within our college within the american college of veterinary critical care they're starting to look into to fluids in a in a in a in a bigger way so there's a there's a group trying to uh, um get together to look at the literature that we have and and you know think about asking the questions for the species that that we deal with because i think it it's such a as you said almost like a, a benign thing but something that everyone uses mm. but actually not a huge amount of of, uh, of evidence. Evidence based behind it yeah. at all. Yeah. It's uh, fascinating. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is, isn't it? So, so I suppose where, where do you think things are gonna? What what is gonna 
going to change more do you think and 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 do you think that has other other connotations as well whether to do with um you know uh, modifications of the theory of of uh, how um uh, fluid movement in interactive compartments so from you know starling's equation mm-hmm. to uh, glycocalyx theory or or uh, yeah, I, I mean, I suppose the the expectation, although we can't necessarily, you know, it's, we, we would love to have some more evidence um, to back it up, and maybe it will be found. That'd be great. Um, but if we are to follow suit, and I suppose the, the expected um, scenario is that we end up using less uh, crystalloids in general, um, we probably do start using or or use more. Um, vasopressor therapy when safe to do so and when you're f- sort of familiar with the vasopressors that you've got available um, and, and that we are using as, as I think is the case anyway you're using more uh, blood products and, and natural colloids uh, filling in the gaps that we th- thought we had very good. Do you think, do you think we uh, need to, to uh, comment on anything else within the, the fluid? Uh, oh probably I, I'll figure it and I'll walk out <laughs> look out the room. Be loads more. <laughs> yeah, I think. Mm. No, I, I think this is a, a massive topic. Mm. Maybe, maybe we should uh, um, revisit it a, a, again, and again, as a, as a few more things sort of come out. Because I think, um, yeah, we we need to probably start asking questions, not not just uh, um, uh, not just I suppose in referral sense or teaching places, but but really the the uh, the everyone who's using fluids yeah, yeah definitely absolutely so you so um many many thanks uh, simon for your your time Isn't today it? we're at product there um and uh thank you for listening and and uh, and uh, i suppose uh, at this time of year we uh, we wish you all i suppose a happy holidays and uh, and a happy new year and i suppose i've, I've got maybe a, maybe a few new year's resolutions brian would be happy that I, I suppose one of those should be to be more committed to the to the podcast and get get these pods out a bit more more frequently um but uh, I, I i will i will uh, endeavor and, and part of it uh, rests on on the, uh, the 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 guests who kindly give up their uh, their time to be on the pod so thank you again so um so um so if you could leave us a, a review on uh, apple podcast or acast uh, a five-star review would be great and don't forget to tell your friends any vet friends or others and we'll place any show notes on the obviously pages so just type in ivc clinical podcast into your search engine of choice and it should be top of the tree so if you have any comments suggestions or podcasts please get in touch so you can tweet uh, at a dog barfield or email me um dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk until next time merry christmas and happy new year bye bye